0: Everything in the Torah, every halacha in the Torah, is timelessly relevant. The word Torah means a teaching. The teachings of the Torah are timeless. There are many, many, many halachos in this week's Parsha. And the truth is that we could take any one of these halachos and unpack the inner meaning of the halacha to understand not just what the Torah wants of us, but the message, the timeless message that's relevant to each and every one of us. And there's value in doing this. One of the beautiful things about this generation is that we demand, sometimes we really demand, we demand that the teachings of the Torah be relevant to our lives. And this is good, and it's right, and it's appropriate. We're not interested in serving Hashem by rote, we're not interested in serving Hashem just by doing what He wants us to do. We're interested in understanding on a deeper level what the Torah means. Why does HaKadosh Baruch Hu want us to behave this way? Adkidei that some people are even willing to go off the derech because of this. There are kids, that they choose to say, Because this makes no sense to me, I'm not going to participate in it, which is not the right thing to do. They should participate in it until they understand it. But we have to be smart and sensitive to listen to the words that are actually coming out of their mouth. Because very often what we say betrays a deeper meaning of what we actually mean. Like the wife that comes to her husband and says... I feel like you're never around. The words that come out of her mouth are, I feel like you're never around. But an intelligent husband will not hear those words. What will an intelligent husband hear? He'll hear, she wants me to be around. So rather than respond defensively, an intelligent husband will say, I really appreciate that you shared with me that it's difficult for you, that you feel lonely or abandoned when I'm not around, because you have to learn to listen to the inner message. The same thing is true of this generation. It's the job of Rebbeim, teachers, and Mechanchot to pay attention, not only to the words that are coming out of our children's mouths, but the deeper intention that's behind those words. And rightfully, and this is good, means we're getting to the essence. People are demanding to know what do these halachos mean. So it sounds, it sounds bad sometimes when it comes out of our mouths, no? It sounds bad. At first glance, it sounds bad. Like um, in yeshiva, there's a masechta called babakama, which is the halachos, let's say, of uh, some of the halachos in the masechta pertain to what happens when one ox gores another ox. And so what do the boys in yeshiva say sometimes? They say, Rabbi, I do not have one ox, let alone many oxen, that I need to be concerned about what will happen if my ox gores another ox. And they'll ask the question, it's a good question, what is the relevance to my life? Why am I learning this? And we have good answers to these questions. So tonight, I just want to teach you one example. One example of many examples, but one example... Of a halacha that appears to be about one thing, and there's many, many layers, and we're going to go a layer deeper. What's the halacha? Kitire chamor sonecha. You see, your enemy's donkey rovets tachas maso, and it is being crushed beneath its burden. V'chadalta me'azovlo azov tazavimo. Would you refrain from helping your enemy? Would you refrain from helping your enemy's donkey under the burden that it's carrying? Azov tazovimo, Go help. Help him repeatedly. Help him time and time again. Now at first glance, this halacha seems to be very simple. I would have interpreted this halacha something like this. Be kind to the people that are not your friend. And that could be the end of the shir. We could all go home. It's going to snow in your I'm going to get stuck in your tonight because I came to teach you in Tomer Devorah. But what a beautiful sentence to say, no? I'm going to get stuck in your If there's ever a place in the world that you want to get stuck, is it not your I don't know how much my family would agree with me, but uh, it would have been a great shir. Help your enemy when they need help. That could be the whole shir, no? And maybe we could even push it a step further. Help your enemy repeatedly. Do it time and time again. Because it will make you a better person. That would be a good schmooze. No? That's a very simple understanding. And probably if I gave that explanation, not to everybody, but to some Talmidim, to some Talmidot, they would probably say something like this. Rabbi, I come from Florida. I come from the five towns. Where do we come from? New York? Where in New York? Brooklyn, New York. Oh, that's Spitz, New York. Brooklyn, New York, yeah? I come from the five towns. Even I know Brooklyn is like... You don't mess with Brooklyn, yeah? Rabbi, I don't see many donkeys... Actually, maybe that's not true. I don't see many donkeys walking around Brooklyn, carrying around heavy loads. Certainly I don't have many enemies that I need to go help them unburden their donkeys load. So some Rebbe's going to come along and go, yeah, but you have a car... And like, if you see somebody and need, their car needs a boost, you can help them. And it's true and it's right, but it's not enough. So I'd like, with your permission tonight, to share an explanation of the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov's Yagen Aleinu, explains this Pasuk in a very different way, and one that's frankly quite relevant to everybody in this room, including myself. But in order, before I give you the Baal Shem Tov, I'd like to give you an introduction. An introduction to four donkeys. Four donkeys. Four donkeys that we find in Tanakh. What's the first donkey that we find in Tanakh? Anybody know? Before Billam's donkey, there was another donkey. Avram Avinu's donkey. Who said it? Where are you from? Miami. Miami. They know about Avram Avinu's donkey. (laughs) When did Avram Avinu have a donkey? Kedaz Yitzchak, excellent. And where did thou go to school? Hillel in Miami? Yep. Pasha, Hillel education. <laughs> Pasha, of course. What does it say about Avram Avinu? What does it say? He saddled, he saddled his donkey. And where are you from? Lakewood, ah, Pasha. <laughs> Yeah. Lakewood Lakewood and Miami, coming together. <laughs> Avram Avinu was Kovish, he saddled his donkey. Later on, we find another donkey. The donkey of Moshe Rabbeinu. What did Moshe Rabbeinu do with his donkey? Anybody know? He put his wife and his children on the donkey. He didn't go on the donkey, but he put his wife and his children on the donkey. The next donkey after that is the donkey you mentioned. It's the donkey of uh, Bilam HaRosha. We all know the story. That donkey <coughs> spoke to Bilam. donkey had a relationship with Bilam. We'll speak about that soon a little bit more. And then finally, there's the donkey of Mashiach. The Pasuk says that Mashiach comes on He's impoverished. He's a poor man. And here we find Mashiach is riding on the donkey. So the order is Avram Avinu saddled his donkey. Moshe Avinu put his wife and his children on his donkey. Bilam had a relationship with his donkey. Only Mashiach rides on his donkey. What are these four donkeys? There are four ways of seeing the physical world. Four ways of seeing the physical world. A chamar, a donkey, represents the chumrius, the physicality of this world. Four stages in creation. The first step of creation is what we're going to call kfishas saddling your donkey. Or to put it in terms that we are familiar with today, Self-control. Self-control. I am in control of my physicality. I'm not a slave to my physicality. Now, girls, this is not a simple thing. To be in control of your own Chumrius, to look at the physical world and say, I can conquer this, I can vanquish this, is not a simple thing. And I'll give you an example. I learned a couple of years ago, I found out, there's a show on television. You girls have probably never heard about it. It's called My 600-Pound Life. <laughs> I, I, did, I, I could not imagine what this show is about. So I asked one of the Talmudim I said, is there like a clip you could show me? He described to me the show. I said, I can't believe it. So he found a clip on YouTube that he showed me. I, 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 I was mortified that this would be a television show. There was a person, a man, who weighed over 800 pounds. And he was in a bedroom. And obviously, if he doesn't get help, he's going to die. He's going to die. This is this whole show that they're bringing doctors to him. They need to weigh him. So first, they have to get him out of bed. Because he's not capable, this 800-pound man, is not capable of getting out of the bed. So they have to come with special machines to help lift him up. Of course, he can't walk, and he can't fit in a wheelchair either. So they have to come with these machines to bring him to a truck. The problem is he can't get out the front door. So in the show, they break down the front door, they extend the front door... So that this man, and he's suffering, he's suffering terribly in his life, could go out the door to go to the truck. I couldn't believe they made a television show about somebody who's suffering like this. And then they bring him to a zoo to be weighed on the same scale that they weigh the elephants. This yes. is a real thing. Because Yeah, you don't have you don't, don't have to look it up. You could on this one you could trust, them, yeah? <laughs> Because the standard three hundred pound scale that a person has is not shyach to him, and they're and they're filming this. And first of all, I just I felt so bad for him. I mean, at some point, legavek the pulk, you put down the chicken. Like <laughs> he, he, this person has such an addiction to eating that he's literally eating himself into the grave. And you should hear the doctor speaking to him. The doctor's telling him, you're gonna die. And 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 it's not hitting him. You see, it's not here's a man, they just had to break down his front door. He's on television, he had to go in a truck because he doesn't fit in the car. He had to be weighed on an elephant scale, but he's not in control of his home. He's not in control girls, you I'm giving an extreme example, but on some level are we all not like this? Are we not addicted to this to this device? Do we want to take a look at our health report? I like that they call it a health report. Do we want to take a look at our health report to see? I'm sorry. It's okay if I hold your phone? I, how many people are addicted? We're all addicted to something. To, to have self-control? They literally put a warning on a box of cigarettes. This will give you lung cancer. I'll take two. How many, how, I remember I said to my uncle, my uncle Saul, great guy, great guy. I loved Uncle Saul. He would sit there. He would go out by the family parties. He was already in his eighties, and he'd sit there and he'd sit sitting there smoking up. He was like a tough old man. He'd be sitting there like smoking, he'd be like Uncle Sal. Those things are going to kill you. He goes at this point it doesn't matter, kid. You know, and he's like sitting there smoking. <laughs> he's like, it's years of your life. It's years of your life, and yet, massive industry. We all engage in self-destructive behaviors. So the very first step of how do I deal with my physicality, how do I deal with my my physical self, it has to be vanquished. I have to have self-control. There was a a commercial well before you girls were born for Sprite. The tagline for Sprite was, remember this? Obey your thirst. Remember they had, Obey your thirst. Obey your thirst is a Goyesh concept. Your thirst should obey you. You obey your thirst. Who's in the driver's seat? Right? So, are we really, do we really have self control? Have we gotten to the level of mastery that what we say, how we act, is appropriate? Probably not. That was the level of Avram Avinu. That's level one. That's not the highest level. There's a level that's higher than that. This is probably a level you've also heard of. The level is forget vanquishing my physicality. There's something more that I can do with my physical self. And this is what you heard about your whole life. You can elevate. You can take your children, you can take your wife, and you can put them on the donkey. What does that look like? Had a also a chavrusa. His name was Adam, now he's asher. Back then he was Adam. Adam went to Mivasaret for two years. Then, despite being Australian, he decided to go to America and to go to Yeshiva University where he learned under my Rabbi of Parnas. After college, he went out and he got a job. Went out and he got a job. Wasn't married, he went out, he got a job. And ultimately he quit his job, decided to come back and learn full-time in yeshiva. I think he ended up doing maybe a master's, like once a week at night. But he sat and learned full-time until he was married, and then he learned full-time for a little bit after that, and then he went back into business. But in the time that he was in business, the first time around, he came to yeshiva for Shabbos. Or if Parnas had left YU, he was in Landers, and Adam came to visit Landers for Shabbos, and he asked my Rabbi the following question. He said, it's so hard to be inspired when you're out in the workforce. It's so hard to be inspired. Because you're sitting there all day, And you're crunching numbers and you're having meetings and presentations and you're figuring out how to make money and how to make more money. And even if you learn, like, how do you stay focused? So you know my Rabbi told him? He said, it depends on how you look at money. It's a fundamental question of how do you look at money. Do you look at money as an end for itself? Or do you look at money as something that can enhance the life that you have? So for example... When it comes to Ner Shabbos, it costs money to buy leichter, to buy beautiful silver leichter to late for Shabbos, it costs money. When a person makes money, that's tuition money. That's there so that your daughters can go to they can go to Beis Yaakov, that they can go to Toma Torah. So the question is, how do you view it? If Parnas was telling Adam, when you come to work every day, you have to understand this is a hechsher mitzvah, because life is expensive. Putting a roof over your children's head. And, and being able to feed them food. This is a mitzvah. So going to work is a haksher mitzvah. You could elevate yourself through the chumrius of the world. That's level number two. Not only do I have to have self-control, but every single thing in the world has an opportunity to be elevated. Let's explain this a little bit more. Let's say I used this marker. Let's say I used this marker to write something on the board. Write something on the board to write down, let's say, the puzzle that we're speaking about. So what went into the creation of this marker? So first of all, there's the, there was the warehouse or the, uh, the factory that made this marker. And all the people and all the machines that went into making this marker. There was all the trucks that brought all the raw goods into that factory. And all the trucks that took, this, well, that took this marker out of the factory. There's the store that held this marker. There's the trucking companies that took them back and forth. There's the gas companies that fueled the trucks. Do you realize how much went into the creation of this marker? And when we use this marker, L'shem Shemayim, what do we do to this marker? We elevate not only the marker, but all of the things that went into the creation of the marker. So a marker is not just a marker. A table is not just a table. A phone is not just a phone. Anything can be used to elevate, to become closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is level number two. The Torah takes a break. And the Torah tells us the story of Bilam, And we know that Chazal say, I said it before, I'm going to say it again, Just everyone should understand that it's an innuendo. Billam had a physical relationship with his donkey. Gemara tells us that when Billam was talking to his donkey, Billam behaved like a husband and wife behaved with his donkey. He had a physical relationship with his donkey. What does that mean? That's not why it talks. (laughs) That's funny. You're saying you got like the Tisha Kavanam speech that a woman gets, yeah, it went donkey. to the donkey? That's funny. I never thought of that. That's a great bit. I'll definitely not use that because it will deeply offend people. But <laughs> since you said oh, it, it's yeshiva. okay. So you, no, in Yeshiva, the love. is a line I heard once from a Rav. They say, um, love and marriage goes together like a horse and carriage. You know that song? Mm-hmm. Which one's the horse? <laughs> it's not, uh, not Pasha yeah, well, yeah but that might be a beautiful thing um, Billum had a physical relationship with his donkey. what does that mean we spoke before about this person who was the addict everyone everyone all human beings have a desire for intimacy. All human beings crave relationships. In fact, I'll say it even more than that. All human beings crave belonging. Isn't that the difference between um, real relationships and fake relationships? People say, I'm looking for connection. Connection is a bad word. What does connection mean? Connection is too amorphous of a word. What we really want is belonging. What does belonging mean? Belonging means I can give myself over to you completely. Isn't that what we all are searching for? That's how you know when you're dating somebody. People say, how do you know? Ready for it? This is a good one. If you can be completely yourself with this other person and know that they love, cherish, and accept you for who you are, that's a good relationship. That's a good relationship. That's called belonging. That's what we want more than anything in the world. The challenge of belonging is, what does belonging require? Vulnerability. We all want belonging, but we want it without the vulnerability. The price you pay for love is vulnerability. Because if you want to belong to somebody, what do you have to do? You have to say, this is who I am, right? What do they say? Love is giving someone the keys to your heart and asking them not to destroy it? Hoping they won't pull the trigger, that's a good one too. Yeah? Because if I want to belong, I have to be all of me. And then you have to accept me for all of me. Or, you might not. So what do we do? In the absence of true belonging, what will we do? What will a human being do? Substitute. Yeah, we're are, we going to substitute. And we're going to substitute for the, for the fake stuff. And the fake stuff gives us that short-term gratification but long-term does very little for us. I'll give you an example. Many, many, many years ago, a very famous doctor came to Eretz Yisrael to visit his nephew. Very close with his nephew. His nephew was a flourishing Talmud Chachem. I can't give too many details, you'll see why soon. His nephew was a flourishing Talmud Chachem here in Yerushalayim, Akodesh, A genius of a kid, a kid who had walked away from major family money to sit and learn in Yerushalayim. And the uncle came to Eretz Yisrael to visit. He sees his nephew. His nephew, uh, how should we say this nicely? His nephew had a different look than he had when he was a teenager. That's a nice way of saying it, yeah? yeah you know, young yeshiva bacher. His uncle was a doctor. And there were certain g'dayim in Yerushalayim at the time that needed to see a very chash doctor. So this nephew started taking around his uncle to all the tzaddikim in Yerushalayim. He took him to Rav Yashav zechat Zeichat Lavracha, took him to Rav Nosson Sveitinkles Zeichat Tzaddik Lavracha, different tzaddikim in Yerushalayim. In fact, this uncle treated so many of the tzaddikim in Yerushalayim that that sukkas he was honored that he sat at the dais of the Mir Simchas Beis shoeva, It was like all the Russian yeshiva and this doctor. He came back to America and he said, I need to find a Chavrusa. So inspired by seeing these Sadiqim, he said, I need a Chavrusa. So a Rosh in the neighborhood, smart man, this Rosh Kail, offered to learn with him at 5 o'clock in the morning. So here's a guy, who was very far removed from Orthodox Judaism. And, uh, I mean, he sent his kids to yeshiva day schools. He was mostly Shomer Shabbos. You know, not exactly what we would call a God-fearing Jew. And now he's waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning to learn with this Reish Kailo. Anyway, I get a call that uh, this uncle, this doctor, wants to meet me. So I go to meet this doctor, and he tells me, I want you to learn with my 16-year-old son. I want you to catch him up. I did not give my son the yeshiva education that he deserved. I want you to sit and learn, teach him how to read a Gemara, teach him how to be excited about his Yiddishkeit. Right now he's not excited about his Yiddishkeit. I feel like if he learns with you, you could really get him into it. So I asked this doctor, I said, No. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. Like, how did you end up like this? You have this baller house in, in back, whatever, and, you're, and, and it's like, uh, I'm not saying which one. It could be, it could, there's other backs, yeah? Hey, this like beautiful house. The guy drives a uh, Bentley or Mashu Kaze, One of those types of very fancy, not a Lexus. You know what I'm saying? Not like an Infinity. Like a high, high, high end car. You know, like like you waking up at five o'clock in the morning to learn with this Rish Kaila, You know what he tells me? There was more Simchas Achaim in Rav Yashiv's two bedroom havel in Meisharim than there is in my mansion. And I I went to his house, and it's awesome beautiful pool in the backyard, personal workout room, overlooking the pool. I mean, gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. But he said there was more Simchas HaChayim in Reval Yasha's two-bedroom havel. Sometimes, not often, sometimes we make the mistake of trading intimacies. We crave real intimacy, we crave real belonging. Bilaam was a prophet. Bilaam had the capacity to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But what did he do with that capacity? The desire to connect could go one of two ways. The Chumrius of this world could be a trap. doesn't have to be, but it could be. So Avram Avinu vanquishes his Chumrius. Maish Rabbeinu says we can elevate our Chumrius. Bilam says, I can't, listen carefully, I can't stomach the vulnerability of true connection, so I'm willing to trade it in for the fake intimacy of the physical world. On some level, everybody does that. It's a very profound and powerful lesson. We only have a couple minutes left. So we'll move on, even though we could spend probably... An, each year could have been on any one of these. Let's go to Mashiach. Mashiach teaches us a lesson that's completely unexpected. Something that probably you've never heard of in your life. Mashiach learns... From the physicality of the world, Avramavinu Avinu conquers the physicality of the world. Moshe Abenu elevates the physicality of the world. Bilam trades true intimacy, true belonging for the fake connection that the physical world can provide. But Mashiach sees himself as impoverished. I'm the student. I'm the one missing the information. But al Hachamor, I'm growing from the donkey. I'm riding on the donkey. Meaning there's something that the physical world teaches me that I couldn't have otherwise known. What is it that Mashiach learns? And this is what's important to bring Mashiach. We need to be in this final stage. What is it that Mashiach learns from the donkey? So listen carefully. There's a... There's something unexpected in the times of Mashiach. There's more Ruchnias in the physical world than there is in the spiritual world. That's the lesson of Mashiach. What's greater? Is it greater to find HaKadosh Baruch Baruchu in the spiritual world, or is it greater to find HaKadosh Baruch Baruchu in the physical world? In the physical world. Because in the spiritual world, Hashem's presence is obvious. But the true expression of the infinite nature of God is that He can be found infinitely in the physical world. That there is no place that's devoid of Him. Which means that even in the most physical areas of our life, even in the areas that seem to be totally devoid of godliness, that's where the most godliness is found. In the most distorted areas of our life, in the most physical, coarse areas of our lives, There's an infinite amount of spirituality that's potentially there, but you have to find it. This is not the same thing as I can elevate the physical. Here the physical is teaching me something. The soul comes into this world and the soul thinks, why would I ever want to be in this world? That's what the soul thinks. Why would I ever want to be in this world? The soul comes down to this world and it sees a beggar knocking on your door and asking you for money so that it can buy food like an animal eats? That's what the soul is interested in? The soul at first glance says, no, I'm not interested in the physical world. But this then the soul learns something while it's here. And that's why the Mishnah us says that you're born against your will and you die against your will. You're born against your will because you know what the soul says in the beginning? I don't want to be there. It's a physical world. But then the soul discovers something. There's more ruchnias here in the physical world than there is in the spiritual world. So we die against our will because the soul wants to be here at the end. When the Ani comes knocking on our door, you know what the soul says at the end of the day? Ah, I'm going to reveal the infinite nature of God in the lowest places in my life. So this is like the addict who hits rock bottom. And in the most broken places of his life, he discovers HaKadosh Baruch That's what the Katske Rebbe meant when he said there's nothing more whole than a broken heart. So Mashiach reveals something unbelievable. The physical world is not your enemy. The physical world is your teacher. The part of you that you don't like, the part of you that takes you to that bad place to do that silly thing that you're not proud of, that's the most godly part of you. It just needs to be revealed. Listen now again to this Pasuk. Listen to what the Baal Shem says about this Pasuk. And listen to how timeless this Pasuk is. Ki <laughs> sonecha. When you look at the donkey of your enemy, the Baal Shem Tov says, pay careful attention to the words. The chamor represents the physicality of this world. If you look at your donkey as your enemy, kitire chamor sonecha. When you look at your physical self and you say that's the enemy. My physical self that brought me to that place, that taiva, that desire that I had that was inappropriate. It's my enemy. Says the Baal Shem Tov, don't look at it that way. It's not your enemy. This is what the passage says. You see your physical world, you think it's your enemy. Tachas maso, And it's being crushed under the burden of mitzvos. Girls, it's cold in the winter in Yishalayim, no? It's warm in Tomer devora but it's cold in the winter in Yishalayim. <laughs> So you wake up in the morning and you have, at home, you're used to, in Brooklyn, maybe not in Miami, but in Brooklyn, in Lakewood, you have carpeting on your floors. And in Eretz Yisrael you have tile. Yeah? And and your feet are cold. You wake up and you feel that chill in your bones, you know, because, because there was a fight in the dorms about what the heat should be. You know what I'm saying? It's like, just put on another blanket or wear a sweatshirt. No, I can't. I don't sleep well. Then we have to, like, work it out, and like really... I'm sorry, am I touching on a cord that's like very serious for you? I apologize. I mean to bring it up. Yeah? So you don't want to wake up in the morning and put your foot on that stone floor because it burns, right? It like, it, it like gets to your gut. You don't want to pour Nagel with that freezing cold water on your hands and then to schlep yourself to Davin. It's like your, your, your mind... Your, the, It's an amazing thing that our mouth can speak, and our mind is somewhere. You're not even you're you're not conscious. You're not awake, but you're davening. You know this. You you ever have that? The rav of my shul always says, "When's the first time we have kavana during davening?" By the shir Shalyom, because you have to think about what day it is. (laughs) You're in the middle of shmona esrei, but you're six thousand miles away. You'd be better off making a tefillah sadarach. right? It'd be like uh... it's a burden. Yiddishkeit. No, that's what happens when you see. The physical world is as your, as your enemy. The physical world is my enemy and it's being crushed under the burden. I don't want to get up in the morning and daven. I, I want to stay in my bed. It's so comfortable. I don't want to go out of my way. So your donkey is being crushed. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard. We're not saying it's easy. We're saying it's meaningful. So what do you say? I want to distance myself from the physical world. I want to remove myself from the physical world. I want nothing to do with the physicality of this world. I want to ignore it. I want to ignore it. Wouldn't that be great? If I could just ignore all of my physical desires? Says the Balshemtov. that would be terrible. To ignore your physical desires is to ignore the godliness that inheres with those desires. The desire to be comfortable. The desire to be connected. These things are spiritual if you're paying attention to them. So... Don't! Listen to the advice of the Pasuk. Don't remove yourself from the physical world. Azov tazov Go help your physical body. Help your physical body realize its true nature. This brings a person closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is the difference between us and the Christians. In the Christian world the best thing you could be is to be abstinent, to be removed from the physical world. In Yiddishkeit we have three levels. Self-control. Elevate the physical. But most importantly, pay attention to the physical world because there's something exceptionally spiritual about it. But you have to pay attention to the man behind the curtains. Not like in the Wizard of Oz. You have to look deeper and you have to see what's really going on. There's a... Not a musr. Chas v'shalom. I don't give musr. There's a lesson that I think we can learn from this. It's a lesson of kindness and compassion. I'm going to bring this down to earth now. we said a lot of very high things. I'm going to bring it down to earth. There's something that uh, I've noticed here, there, and everywhere. We have an inner critic inside of ourselves that's a very, very, very dangerous voice. When we do the wrong thing, our inner critic tells us, you're shagets. It's disgusting what you did. You should be ashamed of yourself. It's very dangerous. The word shame means, I am unworthy of love and connection because of what I did. There's a very big difference between shame and guilt. Guilt, again, assuming that it's in the appropriate measure, guilt is very healthy. Guilt tells us, guilt is like the bumps on the side of the highway. It reminds us to calibrate back on into our lane. Guilt tells us, because of who you are, you're worthy of doing the right thing. And this was beneath your dignity. Shame tells you that you're unworthy of love and connection. The voice, the inner critic, that shames you after you've done the wrong thing, you should know that voice... It's telling you, you're the enemy. You need to be defeated. And that's a very, very, very bad thing. It's impossible to serve anyone. It's impossible to be connected to yourself. It's impossible to be connected to another. It's impossible to be connected to Hashem if you think that there are parts of you that are the enemy. Every part of you makes 100% sense. Every part of you is understandable. It doesn't mean that what you did was okay. But you're okay even when you did the wrong thing. The Baal Shem Tov's lesson about the Chumrius of this world is particularly relevant to our generation. Make sure that you're not treating yourself as the enemy. Make sure that you're not saying oh, you're such a terrible person, you know, you heard a schmooze from Rav Wanglin or from Rav Berg on a Wednesday night, but then already that Thursday night you were out in a funny place and doing a funny thing and, and look at you and, and how could you possibly have done that? It must be that it's not real. No. No. That's how you're going to be crushed under the burden. Because you see your Chumrius as the enemy. Az of tazav Imo. Treat yourself with kindness and compassion. Treat yourself with respect. Ezer HaShem, a person who has a gentle voice, a voice that tells them, this was a mistake, but I can do better. Those are the ones that not just elevate the physical, but learn from their physical desires, how to truly connect to themselves, to another, and to HaKadosh Barofu.